Uh, Let's read Psalm 99 this morning as we get ready for this passage out of the book of Luke. And the psalmist writes, The Lord is King, let the nations tremble. He sits on His throne between the cherubim, let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron were among the priests. Samuel also called on his name. They cried to the Lord for help, and he answered them. He spoke to Israel from the pillar of cloud. And they followed the laws and decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them. Um, but you punished them when they went wrong. Uh, exalt, it, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem. For the Lord our God is holy. Amen. So, we're, it's Transfiguration Sunday. And here's where the... It's, it's moments like this where the... The liturgical calendar gets pretty interesting because next week we're going to go back in Luke to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted. And the 40 days of Lent are tied to the 40 days of temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But Transfiguration Sunday uh, comes before and it really leads us into uh, this season of Lent, which will become apparent as we, we get into it. Um, so it's, it's one of those interesting things where there's symbolism uh, looking forward to the crucifixion. Transfiguration Sunday looks forward to the crucifixion. Um, but it's also looking forward to this time of Lent where we enter into Jesus' passion that leads to the crucifixion as well. So Amen. this is one of those uh, instances where the lectionary is going to jump around. We're going to go back uh, several chapters uh, next week to look at Jesus' uh, time in the wilderness and his temptation. Uh, this, is, this is an odd story. I always remember uh, in our staff meetings when this time of se- this year would come around, Lori would say, we, she'd find ways not to teach the story. She says, this story's weird. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And uh, I would say, yeah, I agree with you. I don't want to teach this either because I don't quite uh, understand it. Well, on the way in here, uh, we're, we're driving up around Cook's Corner, making the turn to come down here. And Lisa says, I'm so excited to hear what you're going to say about this. And I said, yeah, I am too. Because I, I, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those odd, it's an odd, odd story. Um, and there's elements in there of mystery and awe and glory. And I think that there it lies part of our problem is that we like to explain things away uh, and make them nice and neat and packaged uh, so that we understand them. And sometimes we come across stories that are hard to understand, and there's great value in entering into those stories. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, I mentioned last week uh, we've been talking about embodying our faith, and I talked about uh, Claire, who sang with us this morning, uh, getting me a record player for Christmas. And how wonderful that's been, because you have to actually get up and put it on, and you hear the, the first grooves hit the needle, and then you got to flip it over. Can't go too far, you got to flip it over, or you do go far, and then you realize it, it ended like hours ago. And um, So I've been thinking about uh, the records I want to see, I want to be able to sit down and listen to the whole thing, and not all records are like that. There's some, uh, the ones that are, are great. 
and so I've been thinking a lot about that, and I, I made a purchase uh, about a week and a half ago. It came from California, so it took a while. But it's a record called In the Falling Dark by Bruce Coburn from 1976. And uh, so I was so excited to get this. Uh, I think Claire and her sisters were out that night, and Lisa and I were, were home, just the two of us. We had gone out uh, for a quick dinner and came back, and we were still just the two of us. I said, we got to listen to Bruce Coburn, because she, she loves Bruce Coburn as well. And we sat down. He's Canadian. Uh, so there's that. There's that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's a Canadian singer-songwriter uh, going back to the 70s and has quite a following. Still alive today. And um, great music. And so this is one of those albums that is just loaded with so many good songs. And so we put it on. And it starts out with this song called Lord of the Starfields, which he... Uh, claims uh, was meant to sound like one of the psalms, like what we just read. He wanted it to sound like that. Um, not the sound, but the, the words. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I haven't heard this in so long, so we listen to that. That's the opening track. Then you flip it over, and there's other tracks like uh, Gavin's Woodpile, which is uh, really about the injustices um, against uh, Native American people um, in North America. Um, he's probably singing about Canada. And uh, it's dark. It's, it's a dark song. And so I was reminded as we're sitting through the whole thing and having to flip it over and then, you know, hear those songs on both sides that you have these soaring heights of just praise and glory. And Lord, you got to look it up. Lord the Starfields. It is a great song. And uh, Gavin's Woodpile, uh, the same thing. Um, and he talks about the rage that he has over this injustice. And you read that in the Psalms. Uh, sometimes we're a little bit afraid to read that kind of vulnerability and that anger come through in Psalms when we think it's improper or something. But there's something very real about uh, expressing this sort of anger that, uh, that he is expressing in that song. And you have these heights and you have these depths in this one album. And we got to sit through that and enjoy it and reminisce. Um, and like I said, when you stream it, it it's not quite the same. Um, and so that was a, a wonderful time we had on Thursday. But it made me think of this passage because we have this height and then this depth right after it um, that gives us these images of extremes all in one uh, place. Um, and I think that it's meant to be, uh, to answer Lori and myself in my own reticence to, to speak on it, um, we, you know, last week we talked about Ephesians, or uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the, the, resur or, uh, the resurrection and of the dead, and he's trying to explain it, and there's something comforting about under, trying to understand something, and just, yeah, I, all right, I got it, I wrap my mind around this, uh, I don't know really how you wrap your mind around the resurrection, but Paul is moving in that direction, trying to get the church to understand something, to get information into their brains. And then we come to the transfiguration and we're left with, I don't get it. I don't quite understand what's going on here. Um, and so it's a beautiful story. And, I'm, and I keep repeating this because I think that it's really meant as we go through this week and Ash Wednesday and lead into Lent, this is a time uh, to dwell on the story, to imagine the story, to enter into the story to go back to it throughout the week and try to experience the story. Because if we are trying to understand it too much, I think we're going to lose 
um, what it's really all about, which is what the disciples do. They kind of lose it, um, and we're going to see that. Um, yeah, well, everything is spiritual, but uh, it's, it's a mystery. There's a lot of mystery here. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes I don't think, I think we kind of avoid that. We, we get overwhelmed with mystery. Um, fear takes over sometimes. And so, um, anyway, let's look at the story. Let's not talk about it too much. Um, <clears throat> it's in Luke chapter 9. And in the context of this, this passage, Luke 9 is really important for the whole book and how the, the book flows. Um, in chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gives his disciples power. <laughs> he sends them out and says, I give you power over spiritual things and go and do as I have been doing. It says, if you've seen me healing people and teaching, go out into the villages and do the same thing. And he gives them power in the first verse. In verse 20, Peter, we have that passage where Jesus is saying, uh, who, who do the people say that I am? And you have that confession by Peter that you're the Messiah. People are saying this, people are saying that, but I say that you're the Messiah. Uh, so that happens in verse 20. Uh, in verse 21, Jesus then, on the heels of that, predicts his own death and his resurrection. And then at the end of the, chap uh, at the, end of the chapter, in verse 51, they have this statement where it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Now, that is a clue that Luke is giving us, that there is a change in direction of this whole book. Because from his baptism... And leading up to this point, Jesus has been teaching and ministering. He's been healing people and teaching people. And now he has set his face toward Jerusalem, which means we are now into another section that is heading towards the cross. And the rest of this journey, I mean, think about that. It's only Luke chapter 9. And we have this journey start towards Jerusalem. And Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He can read the writing on the wall. He knows where it's going to end. And that's where the journey begins to turn, and this passage is right in the middle of this critical um, this chapter. Um, <clears throat> so, we get to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began speaking with Jesus. And they were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So if we stop right there, we have this amazing, there's a lot of little things going on. First of all, you have the inner crowd with them. You have Peter, James, and John. They got pulled aside on several occasions for these special moments of prayer. He goes up to the mountain to pray. Um, <clears throat> and so because they kind of get more of an inner look at, at the workings behind Jesus, the man, the man behind the myth, right? Not a myth. Uh, so the, man the, legend. <laughs> the legend, there we go. That's better. Uh, these are people you'd think would have, a clue. would have more of a clue anyway of, of what's going on. And so it's interesting how this goes out. And then he's praying, and they kind of, as this rolls out, we're going to see that they kind of fall asleep. And this reminds us, this again looks forward to just before his arrest. He's saying, come and pray with me. Come and pray with me. Um, 
And he's <coughs> struggling. He's really struggling with the next few hours and the, and the days that lie ahead of him. And the disciples can't do that. They can't pull that off. Simple just praying into the night. They fall asleep and they're tired. And so we, here we have this other instance where Jesus is calling disciples uh, to pray with them on this special occasion, special place, and they're uh, going to be unable to do it. But while they're asleep, while they miss it, we see that uh, Moses and Elijah appear. And, um, you know, even the commentaries I read, they, I think a lot of people are a little bit confused about what's going on here. Obviously, Moses is, and Elijah are representing uh, the history of Israel, the story of Israel, that Jesus fits in, right? It's, Jesus is not a plan B. Jesus is part of the plan from the beginning. And uh, it's in a line and it's in accordance with uh, Israelite history. Um, but also you have sort of a symbol of the law and the prophets there um, and the importance of them. So Moses and Elijah, and that's all we're given, just that they appeared. And, and so this is, that's part of the reason this story is so strange is that typically Jesus is teaching and doing things for people. And we're there to read it and to understand it and to grow from it and get some instruction, but here is something that's just happening to Jesus. And I think we don't quite know what to make of it. These two men appear out of nowhere. That doesn't really happen in the Gospels. Maybe there's some stories in the Hebrew Bible that, where that happens, um, and we are left scratching our head, but we don't really see it too much in the Gospels, and here it is. You know, they just show up, and Luke doesn't explain it to us. And yet this is mentioned in Luke, Matthew, and uh, John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so because it's mentioned three times in four of the Gospels, it's something that's really important to the early church. They thought that this was worth recording. But they don't really explain much about what's going on, but they're talking about his exodus. And that's a great word because that's exactly what it is. And sometimes our English translations try to translate it, but it's speaking of an exodus. Um, when Jesus is crucified, it's on the Passover Sunday. And Passover, or Passover uh, weekend, Saturday, Sabbath and all that, not Sunday. Um, and that is the time for Israel to celebrate liberation, where Moses leads them out of oppression and into a promised land. They spend 40 years in the desert, but they finally get there. And so it's a remembrance. It's, it becomes sort of a nationalistic holiday, particularly with a country that is occupied by the Roman Empire. This becomes very important. If the United States was occupied, well, I guess this week we can say by a place like Russia, okay, our Independence Day would be a big deal. It'd be a very, very big deal for us. And the occupying nation would be a little bit nervous around that time because we'd be all getting fired up about our independence if we didn't have it. So that's Passover for Israel. They're occupied by the Roman Empire. It's a really big deal. And so Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection is a new exodus. It's a new deliverance. And so he's being ministered to here by Moses and Elijah, it says. And they're talking to him about the Exodus. And I don't know what, we don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I would really like to know that. Uh, but perhaps that would be something to sit on and to think about, to place ourselves in, uh, in that place of Jesus and say, what, what, is, what are they going to, if they're coming out, what are they going to say to me? You know, if he has set his face towards Jerusalem and he knows what's coming, maybe, you know, he knows that it's not going to be good. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. 
Perhaps they're there to try to comfort them. We know that they had a hard time in ministry as well with their vocation at times. Elijah on the mountain all quiet and running away and God coming saying, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? Yeah, um, powerful experiences. So we don't know. And it's worth sitting with that story and wondering about it. And letting our imagination take us in different places. And wondering why our imagination takes us in that place. You know? um, so they're talking to him. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and they were talking to Jesus. They were glorious to see. So now we get to the disciples. This is where it gets a little comical. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory. And the two men standing with him. I love that. They saw Jesus' glory. So they're experiencing something like Moses' experience, like we just read in Exodus. They saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, this is typical Peter, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. This is a cloud like we read in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah the prophet has a vision of, of God in the temple. There's a cloud there. So you see this often, this idea of a cloud um, with this vision of God and being uh, overshadowed. Um, <clears throat> the cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. So... They see what's going on. They wake up, kind of bleary-eyed. They're looking around. They see Moses and Elijah. We don't know how they recognize Moses and Elijah, but they seem to recognize who it is. They see Jesus in his glory. They don't explain what that is. What does that mean? Dazzling white? I don't know. But they see Jesus in his glory, and their immediate reaction is, let's get to work doing something. Let's build something. And I read that, and I thought... My goodness, how many times are we in the presence of God or we're reading scripture and we, or we're driving along and we hear that lyric to that song and you have that sense of being overwhelmed and we're scared to just sit in it. We want to get to work. Let's get busy doing something. How many times do we rush into ministry or rush into a decision or rush into a situation where we haven't taken the time just to sit in it? You just want to rush ahead. Just want to rush ahead. I want to get my answer. What is God's will here? And we talk, we go to our Bible study. I'm wrestling with understanding God's will. And we go to our prayer. I'm wondering what God's will is because we're just ready to move ahead and do and do and do and produce. That's part of our kind of Western mindset. You know, we're worthless if we're not producing something. Um, and yet Peter, that's, that's his response. And I guess my thinking is that it's probably the response of the other two as well. They're just ready to get going. And it's like, no, just, just sit here. Let's just be. Let's just gaze on Jesus' glory. And in the midst of this chapter, which is so transitional, that's where I think that's where this is pointing us. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. And this is about us being connected to Jesus. And trying to rush out of it. Like, can we think of a time where we do that? We just try to rush through it, get beyond it, 
Got the list. Got the to-do list. Here's what I'm supposed to do. Check it off. Good. I'm good to go. Now I can feel good about myself. And it's like, well, let's slow down. And then you have the cloud. Even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. And look at this. They didn't tell anyone what they'd seen. Why not? (laughs) You'd think you'd want to share that story. They didn't tell anyone what they'd seen. But you have this voice. This happens one other time. Well, it happens earlier than this when Jesus is baptized. And the voice is addressed to Jesus. Here's my son, my beloved son. I'm so pleased. And then he's, he goes into ministry. Up until that time, he's kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. He goes to his baptism. The heavens part. The dove comes down and there's this voice. And I've done sermons on this before. So you know what I'm going to say is that I believe that hearing that from God was so important for Jesus to continue his ministry. I love you. That's what God says. That's essentially what's happening. I love you. And without that sense of love, I don't think we can really get very far in our ministry. I don't think we can get very far in a life that is really designed to thrive uh, the way God has designed it. That that is the centerpiece. So now, in this next transitional moment, that first one was Jesus moving into ministry and beginning his ministry. Now, as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, and we know what's coming at Jerusalem, and we know what's coming three days after Jerusalem, and we know what's coming 50 days after that, which is the outpouring of the Spirit, and the church is born, we have this voice. Listen to him. (laughs) Listen to him. What clear... Instruction. There you go. Listen to what Jesus says. Right? Love your enemies. Keep forgiving. It's hard. Build your house on solid ground, not on sand. Build your house on my words and my teaching, not on popular words and teaching. All those things are the things that Jesus teaches us. This voice comes down to his disciples and says, Listen to him. This is my son. And then it says they didn't tell anyone. They must have told someone at some point because we're reading about it, right? (laughs) But it seems like immediately they didn't tell anyone. Um, And again, I'm left to wonder why. Why? Why didn't they tell? And this story is begging for us to sit in it and to, to be carried along downstream with it because there's so many mysteries in here that... We don't know how to answer. So that's the Lord of the Starfields part. Now we come down off the mountain. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. This is really detailed. I mean, this is, this is worth 
meditating on this as well. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And again, he had given them authority at the beginning of the chapter, very first verse. Jesus said, here's, here's, if you're listening, if you've got one of those gospels that you listen to, here's one of those moments where Jesus sounds really mad at you. Jesus says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I put up with you? And then he said, bring your son here. Right? So this is, there's a frustration there. And I, I kind of love that because Jesus is experiencing human, God and human flesh is experiencing human emotions and he's frustrated. And the fact that he's frustrated should indicate that he believed that they had the ability to do it. That they had the power to do it. And yet they can't do it. This passage needs to go with the mountaintop experience. They, I think, in all the other times, they go together. Yeah. And oftentimes we want to stop on the one, but the heights and the depths are both necessary here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. And here we have that awe again, that mystery. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. And so we have this moment um, where the disciples can't do it. And so both of these stories are drawing our attention to the person of Jesus. And then Jesus, or Peter's confession, you are the Messiah, earlier on. And then him giving over power from him to himself. This is all about Jesus' identity. This whole chapter is about who is this person. And we have a whole bunch of different teachings and we have a whole bunch of different instances where we see who he is. And it oftentimes isn't explained to our liking, to what satisfies our curiosity, to what satisfies our need to know and our need for certainty in the midst of mystery. And yet the gospel beautifully leaves it there for us to think about, to meditate on, to wonder what it's like to look on Jesus' glory. Can we just go to the mountain and just sit there with him? Can we meditate on the fact that, you know, Jesus has a vision that's so much bigger that I, I don't live into it. That, there's, that he sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves and we back off. And so here we have a mountain and a valley, very high and very deep. And yet we like to live on that plateau that's just kind of in the middle somewhere. That's kind of safe, right? And our lives grow and we worship God and we develop friendships and things happen. Uh, bad things happen and good things happen. We celebrate and we mourn together. And that's all good. That's life. Um, and a life with God is good no matter what that looks like, right? But here we have this picture of this high mountaintop and this low valley and we are rushed up and we are rushed down to see, get an image of what Jesus is all about. That he confronts evil and casts it out. So what does that look like for us to confront evil and cast it out? Knowing that Jesus has given us power. I'll tell you what it mostly looks like. We're afraid. Amen. We're afraid. Um, and it's hard. Um, yeah. This is an invitation to know God 
to meditate on, to sit with the passage, and learn to know, to relate to Jesus. More than just knowing about God. Um, We don't want to miss the opportunity to sit and gaze at Jesus, lest we we miss the power in both of those stories. Especially during Lent, because now we move into Lent, where we think about our own weaknesses, we think about suffering and Jesus' suffering, and he says, a student is not above the master. And so we, we are following Jesus, and he goes to a cross, okay? And so the season of Lent is that time uh, to think and meditate on um, our own suffering. Um, how much ease do we pile into our life to try to, try to push away those feelings of fear and being overwhelmed? What do we give up? Sometimes we just give up something simple. And even if it's something simple, it's very powerful because you're teaching your body and that life in the flesh that you don't, you're not my master. Even if it's something simple. Giving up coffee. Giving up... Okay, that's not that simple. Um, Yeah. I'm going to give up watching NASCAR this season. I don't watch NASCAR. Uh, So that's going to be an easy one. But um, giving up NASCAR naps, that would would be something. Um... But if we give up, whether it's something big, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's something that we, and, and we add in, we try to think about what am I going to replace uh, this thing that we're giving up with? It's a time to think about Jesus and his suffering and his glory. So um, this is one of those passages. Can't land a plane for you. You got to think about it. You got to think about where this is leading you. Um, what kind of things overwhelm you? What kind of things bring fear into your life? Where is God leading you? Where you're afraid to go? And, uh, and to think about it, to meditate, to sit on it, to gaze at Jesus. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Psalm 27.4. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his temple. That's a picture of just gazing on mm-hmm. someone, gazing on God and meditating on. And that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it for you. Um, pray for me that I learn to do it better. We have a reading from Corinthians, and then we're going to take communion. We practice uh, an open communion. That if you uh, if you are you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, you're welcome to uh, take communion uh, with us. Um, and the text is from Second Corinthians chapter three. And here Paul is looking back on the Exodus passage that we already read. He says, "Since this new way gives us such confidence." We can be very bold. Right? The disciples weren't real bold there. We can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to the people of Israel. Um, the Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds. So they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with a veil. They don't understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so we come to the table, and we are reminded of Jesus' body broken for us, and His blood is spilled for us. Um, This also is something, it's an image of Jesus that we can sit with and meditate on and partake in. And in this particular case, we get to taste the gluten-free cracker and drink the, the juice. And it involves our senses in a way that reminds us um, of the gifts that Jesus gives us. So let me close in prayer. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Um, help us to boldly enter into these mysteries, uh, to boldly enter into your throne of grace, uh, to pray boldly, um, to act boldly, um, to speak boldly with great mercy and grace and, and love and truth. You have called us uh, to the mountains. Um, sometimes we find ourselves in deep valleys. And there's evil there. There's real evil there. And Jesus is the answer to that evil. Amen. May we be your presence in this beautiful and this darkened and broken world. Uh, give us strength. Uh, to live out whatever vocation you have put on our hearts and our minds to follow you um, in whatever that looks like. Help us to be bold. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.